0: let's listen keenly and observe this group fondly known as the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Yes, dear listener, you need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast. For the very last time in 2022, this is the last episode, I need a break, I've decided. Joe, you asked me a couple of weeks ago when are we were having a break and I wasn't too sure, but yep. I decided... Yesterday, I've had enough. I've got to stop. Perfect. So, I'm Trevor, a.k.a. the Iron Fist. Joe normally tunes in about 15 minutes early, but he literally tuned in with two a little seconds late to go. Today. Yeah. So, welcome aboard, Joe. Thanks for being here. Well, dear listener, if you're in the chat room, say hello. Yes, a podcast, as usual, about news and politics and sex and religion, and a few topics to get through, but being the last episode for the year might be a little self indulgent talk about ourselves a little bit maybe do a bit of a review i didn't tell you about this joe but i sort of <laughs> quickly went through roughly some of the things we'd talked about over the past 12 months thought we'd rehash some of them or go over them so we'll do that at some stage and see how we go so oh dear, as you're always, just out on our past bullshit yes well we didn't make too many predictions Okay, that was good, yeah. We'll leave predictions until the first show in January. So there's fair warning for you, Joe. Between now and then, you have to make some 2023 predictions. I don't know. January 2022, was. I don't think anybody predicted that Putin was going to invade Ukraine, causing a massive oil and gas issue. The Nord Stream pipe mines would be blown up by parties unknown and just throw the world sort of energy markets into chaos. If anyone did, that was a good pick. Yeah, Um, well, hopefully they placed bets in the right stock markets. Yes. Anyway, so, yes, I'm going to take a break. At least three weeks, I think. So I'm going to, as soon as the show is finished, reach for my phone and delete Twitter, delete Facebook, delete my RSS feed reader, delete everything and just not look at anything for a few weeks, Det- detox. And I don't mm-hmm. think much is going to happen anyway, Joe. Yeah. I'd be careful with predictions like that. Yeah. That's, yeah. This country, after after Melbourne Cup Day mm-hmm. and until Australia Day, the country stops effectively in many ways. Anyway, we'll see what happens. So deleting those. If you're signed up to the newsletter, you won't be seeing anything fresh on the newsletter, but stay signed up because it'll kick off again next year. Next year, plans, I'm actually almost certainly doing a second podcast, which will be one about art supplies, a very niche topic for people who work in art supply stores about the ins and outs and chemistry and physics of art supplies. So not one for the general public. I'm pretty sure sure it'll be (laughs) riveting. Thanks, Joe. And I also think I might do a second podcast where I just take bits and pieces out of this podcast and create a second one, maybe with the sort of Australian-specific content removed, and make something that's a bit more appealing to international audiences and more bite-sized pieces. So something like that I'm toying with the idea of. There's all sorts of interesting stuff you can do with podcasts now. And I feel if I had a second podcast, I could play around with some of that stuff. Thinking about that anyway. Speaking of interesting stuff in podcasting, I am now doing chapters on this podcast. So you should, on your app, be able to look at chapters. I might have mucked it up slightly last week. But anyway, you'll see, hopefully, on your podcast app, a list of chapters. So if you want to scoot through some topics, say when we read out the patrons' names and you're not one of them and you don't want to hear the names, you could just skip that section, for example. So, and oh, I also, we we're
1: trying to torture people.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's right. No, we're trying to make them feel guilty. That's right, what we're okay. trying to do, guilt trip them. Yep. And also, with the chapters, you can put images there. So sometimes if I talk about a graph or something like that, Have a look at your phone in your app, and there's half a chance if I'm talking about a graph or an image that it might be appearing in the podcast app itself. So, all that sort of stuff. Joe, nobody's in the chat room at this stage. They're all at Christmas parties. So, what's happening? There's three people watching. Three people. (laughs) Who are the three people who are watching? Please just say hello. And tonight, you've got a good chance of having any comments read or just a hello greeting called out to you. So, Please say hello. It would be good to know all the people who are in the chat room. Right. Joe, you were prescient. So remember, dear listener, when we talked about the National Anti-Corruption Commission and one of the things we spoke about was that the commission would have the power to make findings of corrupt conduct and refer their findings to the Director of Public Prosecutions and the Australian Federal Police. And you, Joe, said... Mm. don't know about the Australian Federal Police. Don't know how good that'll be. Mm-hmm. I was like, I was kind of like, what do you mean? It's the police force. They're on our side. It's, it all sounds, why, why are you so cynical, Joe, <laughs> was what I wanted to say. Uh-huh. And now we've got this thing with the Brittany Higgins-Bruce Lerman trial. Where the chief prosecutor in the trial has complained that police officers engaged in a very clear campaign to pressure him not to prosecute the alleged rape, saying there was inappropriate interference and he felt investigators clearly aligned with the successful defense on this matter. And that's on a simple, well, I say simple, but it's not normally a highly political matter, a sort of a rape trial, although does implicate the actions of the minister in cleaning the office and mm-hmm. other bits and pieces. But it's not as political as some things could get. Like well, You mean like
1: arresting ABC journalists, going through all yeah. their stuff, looking for a source of a leak? Yes. That the AFP have done in the past?
0: Yes. Y- yes, that's right. Where, where they
1: were alleged to be LNP lackeys at that point.
0: Yeah. So, so Jay, I was merely,
1: It's merely a long memory, not being prescient.
0: Yeah, well... You've got a good memory, Joe. Yeah, and uh, well done because I didn't spot it, but you did. And so, yeah, this this Brittany Higgins, Bruce Lerman matter really highlights. Like, this is quite extraordinary for the QC to make these allegations about mm-hmm. the police conduct. Really, really. A- actually, extraordinary. he's a KC now. KC, yes, Could, yes, it would be. So it depends on the. I'm just trying to think
1: now. I know in the UK, all the QCs became KCs overnight.
0: Yeah, they did. But I'm just trying to think here. At some point it swapped. It says here he's an SE. Yes. Which apparently is Australian. Yes, that's right. Where we took away the sort of Queen's Council. So it wouldn't change. Anyway, quite extraordinary. So we'll see what happens from that. And then the Australian Federal Police Association did a counter-report where they Mm -hmm. reported the Director of Public Prosecutions to a Canberra watchdog. Because Sorry. apparently
1: he hurt their fee-fees.
0: Mm. It's a bit of tit-for-tat in referring people to bodies. Like I said, plenty of work for the Anti-Corruption mm. Commissions coming up. Mm. So well done, Joe. You spotted that one? Oh, in the chat room. Bromman. Good on you, Bromman. Hello. So we've also had, Joe, robo-debt hearings. And it's been great because people are getting grilled and they're not allowed to just fob off and say, "I I reject the premise of your question," yes. and move on.
1: <laughs> because <laughs> I reject uh, your reality and insert my own. That's
0: right. Or I'll just fob around and say any old bullshit, and and then the press conference will be over. But that's not how this works, because they stop and they just say, "Well, you're not answering the question," and you're keep in going. contempt. Yes. So Ben Eltham on Twitter said, the real value of the RoboDen inquiry is to make unaccountable public servants everywhere absolutely shit their pants at the prospect of having a KC methodically go through every single work email they ever wrote and make them testify under oath for two days. I reckon that's a good point. I think you would hope. If it's senior public servants, yeah. Mm, Yes.
1: I mean... The plebs, I don't think, really have any
0: power. No. But you know what? They might be encouraged to write that email up mm-hmm. the chain to, to say, cover their asses. Just pointing out, I told you in this meeting the following situation, for the record, and it's there in black and white.
1: I, I, I know someone who went to work for the state government mm. from private industry, been in private industry for 30 years, and apparently he became unpopular because I think at one meeting he went... will will you not just fucking shut up and make a decision? (laughs) Because they were just buck passing. Nobody was willing to make a decision in case they got called on it.
0: Yes, yeah. I had a friend years and years ago who was a qualified accountant, moved into law and ended up in a law firm. And there was a matter on some sort of taxation advice. And he was, because he'd only just started in the law, a relatively junior lawyer and the senior partner was telling him, no, that's not the advice we're going to give. And he he said, that's fine, I'm just going to put a big file note here saying I said something quite different and you're saying this and it's going to be very clear to anybody looking at the file whose advice this was. And that was enough to make the senior partner think think twice and change the advice. So cover your ass emails and file notes, what you need to do, and, yeah, hopefully it might encourage people to do more of that and might scare some people with power into thinking, crikey, I might end up in front of some inquiry at some stage. I'd better treat this seriously, whatever mm. it is. We can only hope. Because up here in Queensland, we've also had, Joe, the, uh, there's a lab here responsible for DNA testing. So I hear you. The problem is they haven't really been doing DNA testing the way it should be being done. And so there's been an inquiry here. And just again, proving hopeless administration and just terrible procedures and and just dozens and dozens of cases where where DNA evidence has not been properly assessed and potentially dozens of criminals getting away with it. And this organisation fobbing off police and saying, oh, we weren't able to find anything or we weren't able to, wasn't enough evidence on the clothing or whatever when mm-hmm. and police are going, well, it seems strange because it looked like a fair amount of evidence on there so. It's another case of public service performing badly. So what's Bronwyn say here? When I was a junior public servant, one of the first things I was told was to always put my advice on the fire and not take the fall from the minister. I think attitudes have changed slightly and it now takes some courage to do that as it potentially exposes the minister. Mm. So there we go. Right, well, can't finish the year off without another mention of submarines. And the ongoing saga that is submarines in this country.
1: I thought the chaser had done something about us renting submarines, wasn't it?
0: I don't know. I didn't <laughs> see it. We were going
1: Possibly. to give the Americans money, crew it with American crew. and
0: Yes. I think I read that one out last week. Yeah. Cutting out the middleman. Let's just yes. get them to to pay wasn't for it, the crew it and record it and, and, and store it in mm. their waters. Well, you would think the following article is a chaser article. It's so outrageous, but it is true. So, one of the most powerful Republicans in the United States Congress has ruled out the possibility that Australia could buy several US made submarines. And this has always been a problem, dear listener, that they can't make them fast enough for themselves, let alone squeeze out a few more for us. This has been known forever. So, he said this Republican senator, Republican congressman. That's not going to happen, said Rob Whitman. Now, he's the most senior Republican on the House Armed Services Committee's Sea Power Subcommittee. Sounds like the right committee for dealing with making submarines. He said the US could not afford to interrupt its own submarine production to make way for Australia. He said, quote, I don't see how we're going to build a submarine and sell it to Australia during that time. So far, so good. That all makes sense. He goes on. He could see an arrangement working. Sit down for this one, dear listener. Where the US built a submarine that operated in Australia's area of responsibility and was manned by a dual crew of sailors from both nations. It won't belong to Australia, but it'll still be an asset that they have that element of control with. I think we can do that, he said. It may be that the US needs to have a 51% control and command and Australia has 49%. He says here, quote, listen, in an emergency, it will come back to the United States. But if it is an emergency, the Australians are probably going to want the United States to be able to have that.
1: But of course... Because America has always taken care of Australia's defence.
0: That's right. You know, Scott Morrison would have jumped at it and said, that's a great deal. We we get it at half price. Hopefully the Labor Party is not so stupid, but I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Because they seem to be swallowing the American line on defence a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. So actually a number of these first topics, dear listener, are sort of all continuation of stories that we've done in the past to some extent. That was submarines continued. This is Timor Gap continued. So as I mentioned, Labor has decided to drop the prosecution of Bernard. Now, I think I always say Collery, but it's Collery, I think. Anyway, Bernard they have decided to drop that prosecution. But when it was running and Michaelia Cash was in charge, there was this argument about, about the evidence and... How much of it could be revealed, and even some of it was not even revealed to to Caleri himself. And it went to a supreme the ACT Court of Appeal, who said it should be revealed the evidence in court, and that was then appealed to the High Court, but it was all put on sort of hold. And then Dreyfus has decided to terminate the prosecution, but he still wants this stuff kept secret. And he's somehow got the ACT's Chief Justice to review the whole thing. So it's back in the ACT deciding how much of the evidence could be released, even though the prosecution has basically been abandoned. So Kaliri believes that the Albanese government is encased by the same circle of security advisors in and out of the public service who orchestrated the moves against Witness K and himself. And he thinks that Dreyfus is probably accepting the advice that he not allow publication of this material because of advice from the ACES director, General Paul Simon, a retired army general and former head of defence intelligence. And Kaliri says, when you've got an ex-warrior, albeit with no actual experience in the trade, You've got a man of that sort of standing who's advising you that publishing it would be in the sort of prejudicial to national security. You accept that advice, Cleary tells me, or tells him. But it's tripe, according to Cleary. It was car key dressage. And Cleary wants a royal commission. And it should encompass not only that ACES bugging operation, but also issues of utter, utter treachery, he says that he hasn't been at liberty to reveal previously.
1: So, <clears throat> possibly giving information to the Indonesians about the...
0: Who knows? His team utter utter, utter, utter treachery, he says. So on the face of it, a Royal Commission should appeal to the new Labour government, but it doesn't seem to be falling on fertile ground. And one reason might be that when Labor was in power during the Rudd-Gillard years, they might have been doing naughty stuff as well that would come out in a Royal Commission.
1: Well, and also, wouldn't it be seen to be political? So they need to be careful how many... True. ...political Royal Commissions. True. I mean, the Debt one was the one we really wanted.
0: Yeah, well, yes. I mean, I'd like to see this one. Anyway, according to this article, well, if you can't have a Royal Commission, maybe they could do it as a referring it to the new... National Anti-Corruption Commission. There could be a bit more... But, it you
1: know, way. National Defence, the Anti-Corruption Commission, couldn't possibly.
0: Well, couldn't do it publicly, could it? Mm. No. Anyway, we'll see what happens. According to the end of this article, it says this would put targets on the back of Downer, Alexander Downer, who later accepted a consultancy from Woodside Petroleum. say so. Mm, and the late Ashton Calvert who was Secretary of Foreign Affairs, who supervised ASIS at the time of bugging, and on retirement became a director of Woodside. Yeah. Still on defence matters briefly, from an article in Crikey, there is a... Let me just see. There's a parliamentary inquiry examining the reform of the war powers. So at the moment, the Prime Minister can just consult with two or three of his best mates and send us off to war. And people have been calling for that to change where there should at least be a vote in the parliament, both houses.
1: The problem is you have to recall parliament. Mm. So, yeah, that takes time. And the point was if we needed to go to war quickly, Mm. the country was attacked.
0: Mm. But when have we needed to go to war quickly? Like all the last wars we've been in... we Have been overseas? We had plenty of time to bring everybody into the parliament and make the decision. They have not been that urgent that we couldn't have gathered everyone in the parliament and made the I, decision. I,
1: I think the idea is if we were to ever have our own
0: Pearl Harbour. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, you could make it. If Australia is attacked on our own soil, okay, the Prime Minister and, and parliament is not sitting. Mm-hmm then the, uh, you know, okay, let the Prime Minister's best mates make the decision if you need to. But if it's an overseas battle or if it's one where we're actually Parliament sitting and everybody's there, get everyone together, make the decision. Anyway, the Defence Department put in a submission and guess what? They don't want to change the current system. They like the current system. Mm Mm-hmm. I think they like like going to war, Joe, if you're in the Defence Department and you want to – I mean, that's what the whole point is. If you're there, you want to go to war. You're quite disappointed if you're in Defence during a period where there's no wars. Yeah. How are you going to earn stripes and stars and and other stuff? Yeah. You want to go to war until you've been in a war and then you don't. Yes. Or you're going to be sitting in an office back in Canberra. Yeah. Anyway. So that's the War Powers show. There's only, I mean, federally and in the States, all those governments, there's only two now that are not Labor. One of them is New South Wales. And current Premier, Dominic Perrottet, took over from Gladys Berejiklian and...
1: After she was badly, badly treated by the Anti-Corruption Commission. (laughs) Yes,
0: indeed. And so this is the Premier of New South Wales... I reckon if the Labor opposition just plays this tape over and over, surely this should make him unelectable. Anyway, let's go with him speaking a little while
2: ago. ...territory to pass laws requiring priests and other religious ministers to breach the confessional seal to report cases of child abuse. Now, I understand the motivation and the rationale for this legislation as I'm sure everyone here does. As a Catholic, I find the sexual abuse and subsequent cover-ups that have gone on in the church are crushing betrayal, not only of the victims, but of believers too. We all share in the responsibility to combat the plague of sexual abuse of children and minors and make sure it never happens again. And at the same time though, we need to be clear about what this kind of law does. It compels, under threat of imprisonment, ministers of religion to violate their conscience in a way that is so grave that will result in their summary expulsion from their church. That isn't just a matter of preference. It's a matter of deep theological conviction that the confessional seal is sacrosanct for every priest and every penitent, no matter who and no matter what sins are confessed. It is an essential doctrine for many Christian denominations and no state legislator can change that fact. But if governments claim the authority to outlaw one religious doctrine, It's only a matter of time before they will outlaw others. So each of these examples reflect changes that are taking place right now and suggest the prognosis for religious freedom in Australia is not good. We've reached the point where, in in very practical, tangible ways, Christians are being forced to to choose to serve either God or...
0: Is that someone you want in charge of your state, Joe?
1: Well, doesn't the Bible say, render unto God what is God's, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's? Mm. But also, you know, I, I understand their reticence, but they're not even meeting us halfway. Mm. They don't say absolution in cases of you know, confession of child abuse would be uh, withheld Withheld unless you go and confess all to the police. Right. Which, you know, is a simple thing to say. That is a, a, a prerequisite of, of absolution.
0: Mm.
1: And, and you can still keep your seal of confession and just say, well, you've come and confessed it to me, but you know if you want to be absolved of these sins, you have to go and fess up. Not just to somebody who can't tell anyone, mm. but yeah, face the music for it. Because there was that priest who thinks he confessed whatever it was a thousand times and went on to abuse again
0: every yes. time. Yes, because
1: his because his conscience was clear because he'd been forgiven.
0: Mm. The danger with that, Joe, is I don't think it's acceptable for a priest a priest to say, "Well, I'm not going to absolve you of your sins, but I'm also not going to tell on you." That just doesn't cut it for me. So, it's no, no, not a halfway I'm- mark to me. You know, it's.
1: <laughs> but, but but they're saying still- oh, we're just going to keep stum. You know, yeah, and we're going to grant you absolution. Yes, we we because- will. We will discommunicate. What is it? Discommunicate? Excommunicate? We will excommunicate a twelve-year-old for having an abortion, mm-hmm. but we will not excommunicate her rapist for for making her pregnant.
0: Mm-hmm. There you go, Catholics. Yeah, I was in the system Locked for twelve church. years. Mm. Six people in the chat room, and only Bromwin has said hello. Come on, it's the last show for twenty twenty-two. Just say hello. You don't have to make any other comment than that. Just so we can. See who you are. I'm very curious to know who you are. Oh, there's only five now, one left. Yeah, you've scared him <laughs> off. Yeah, I have, haven't I? Okay, right. That's Dominic Perrottet. Good luck, New South Wales, getting rid of him when the time comes. Mm. There was an article on the John Menagee blog. It was by Stephen Williams, who's very active in the sustainability sort of world, and he was talking about a, a paper. Robin Bristow's there. Oh, good on you, Robin. A, a discussion paper written by a Catholic historian, Paul Collins. And this guy, despite being Catholic, this Paul Collins, he's the author of 15 books, former editor of Religion and Ethics at the ABC. But he actually has a very strong argument about the world's population level and what it can accept. And he says that the planet could support 3 billion people in modest comfort, not the current 8 billion. And anyway, in this article, Collins's figure of three billion is similar to Cambridge UK economist who quotes 3.2 billion, and another expert in Canada, a William Reese, who puts it at between one and two billion for the population. and Australian science writer Julian Cribb opts for two to 2.5 billion, and another one, Philip Lorne. Australian Ecological Economist puts the figure at 4 billion. So I found the article interesting, just that there was a bunch of people looking at this and figuring out that somewhere between 1 and 4 billion is about the population that the planet can sustain. And we're currently at 8. So, Joe, when we're looking at Vaclav Smil and his book and the problems of okay, we can replace household electricity with renewables, but we've got Mm -hmm. real problems with thought of locomotives, aeroplanes, trucks. Fertilisers. Fertiliser, cement, things like that, and really sort of came to a bit of a conclusion, I did anyway, that it's just not going to be possible with the current population. I think the only way we'll get to it is through a smaller population. So, yes, in the chat room, Robin says hello. He's on his way to a trip around the world. Good on you, Robin. Roman says, in Victoria, legislation requiring priest and autofile child abuse was passed a couple of years ago. To my knowledge, no one has been convicted of failing to do so. There you go. So that was in Victoria with, well, of course it was, with Dictator Dan passing mm. such, such dictatorial...
1: Yeah, he, he's such an atheist.
0: Yes. Yeah. China's human rights abuses... I may have mentioned this previously, I don't know, but I came across it again. It's really hard to know what the truth is.
2: About the Uyghurs?
0: Yes. Do you know what the truth is, Joe? No. No. I know one of the arguers or the proponents about the amount of sort of human rights suffering of the Uyghurs, some Christian guy who had a real agenda that was responsible for a lot of it. Anyway, stumbled across this old article. So this is from 2019, July. Last week, 22 mostly Western countries launched the world's first major collective challenge to China's crackdown on the Uyghur Muslims. In a joint statement to the United Nations, the 22 mostly Western countries criticised Beijing what they called uh, disturbing reports of large-scale arbitrary detentions and widespread surveillance and restrictions. But the next day, thirty-seven other countries jumped to Beijing's defence with their own letter, praising China's human rights record, and dismissing the reported detention of two million Muslims. And nearly half the signatories were Muslim-majority nations. Who you would think might be sympathetic to the plight of fellow Muslims in China. But on the other hand, who might also be sympathetic to their own economic benefits by well, keeping cosy with China.
1: <laughs> and, you know, are they the right sort
0: of Muslims? Indeed. Well, what is a Mus- what is a Uyghur Muslim? Are they Sunni or, or Shi'a no or idea. something else? Hmm. So the Muslim-majority nations that supported China included... Pakistan, Qatar, Syria, United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia. So anyway, this is why it's so hard to tell where the truth is on these things. Actually, I've got a little I've got a little picture I can show you of this, which is countries in orange posed well, complained about China's human rights record with the Uyghurs and the the majority
1: of Sunni, apparently.
0: Right, okay. Although
1: additional conflicts exist between Sufi and non-Sufi religious orders.
0: Okay. So if the vast majority are Sunni and Mm. the countries that we're talking about here were Saudi Arabia, they're Sunni. Okay. Yeah, it's because it's Iran that's Shia and Saudi Arabia are Sunni. So they were the right kind of Muslims. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway. Again, it's one of those things where it's really hard to tell what is going on there. One of the things that always strikes me about this, Joe, is if they're really wanting to wipe out the Uyghur population, it must be a fairly recent thing because during China's one-child policy, Mm -hmm. there was a group that was exempt from the one-child policy.
1: Oh, is it the Uyghurs? Indeed. Okay.
0: So... It just, It's odd that if you were wanting to I, commit genocide of a group, you
1: wouldn't I, have... I was reading about the one part of China that didn't stick with Beijing's time zone, and I thought it was the Uyghur areas.
0: Maybe. Don't
1: they know. seem to have an amazing amount of autonomy. Yeah.
0: that's the problem. It's so hard to know where the truth is on these things. So... I'm sure Landon anyway. would have a little more information. yeah. Well, you know that's the other thing is just because you're living in a country, yeah, that's true. As an expat, you may no disrespect to land and hard bottom. <laughs> how could I disrespect a man with that name? Mm. But you know, people living in Australia, Joe, I run into every day, have no idea how this country is operating. Let alone expats in mm. a foreign country trying to figure out what's happening in a country. Yeah, just just because somebody's lived somewhere. Doesn't mean they are an expert by any means. I know my friend, my one of my neighbours was in Chile, and and he came back and he said, oh, you know the people people in Chile, you know they really hated that uh, socialist Allende government." And I was like, "Mate, he's quite well to do guy," and I was like, "Mate, you were just obviously hanging around with do a, well. diff- a different class of person, yeah. so you got a distorted view of." Chilean's, current Chilean's impression of Yenda.
1: It was interesting when my brother came back from backpacking around Australia, Mm -hmm. his view of Australia, very, very different. Well, but very different to mine because he'd been living in caravan parks. Okay. Yep. So he'd been living with mostly itinerant workers. Right. Uh, And so he'd seen a completely different side of Australia to that that most of us see.
0: He probably didn't see any Australians in if they were itinerant workers. They were all probably backpackers and well, I, he and He said and there were some miners in the right.
1: – is that out Kalgoorlie, I think, somewhere
0: okay. around there. There you go. Yeah. So, yes. All right, in the chat room, Antonio says hello. Good on you, Antonio. There's six people in the chat room. Three have identified themselves, Bronwyn, Robin and Antonio. Come on, remaining three, just say hello. All right, given it's the last show – Time to thank the patrons. So, dear listener, currently there's 54 active patrons. And in summary, only three people cancelled their patronage in 2022. On the other hand, only five new patrons signed up. So, Still a, a net gain. In, a net increase of two. Give us enough time. And we'll piss <laughs> Yeah, wait till we get back to the Indigenous issues and the voice to <laughs> <of> Parliament. <laughs> that's that's when the patronage is really going to plummet because you're not going to like what I say again. <laughs> but anyway. So, yeah, net increase of two. If you've been thinking about becoming a patron, do so. You could sign up now even though I'm not going to do an episode for three weeks cause you won't get charged. You only get charged when we do an episode. $1, $2, $5, you pick a figure there and sign up go to ionfishvelvoglob.com.au and you'll see the patreon donation link head in there it's easy to do It'd be great so yeah our most recent patron was Danny Borland who signed up in November 2022 and our longest supporting is Janelle Louise who started on the 17th of December 2016 Janelle next week it'll be 6 years congratulations <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so, I'll quickly read through the names. If you've got you now, if you've got chapters on your app, you could just skip through this part. Or you might like to just sit back and silently thank the people for being a patron and supporting this podcast. So, Awesome Prayers. Yeah. In 2022, signing up were Danny Borland, Obrada Puskarica, Antius Sentiment, Christian Hennessy, and Mark. Lavelle. And in 2021, signing up was I, Tom the Warehouse Guy, Rick O, Greg P, and Shannon Legg. From 2020, we've got Don Tuvey, Matt Dwyer, Sue Cripp, James Leanne, Branwen Wayne, David Hanby, Virgil, Craig Ball, Shane Ingram, Yam Blue, Zambuck, David Copley, and Graham Hannigan. From 2019, yet another Pinker fan, John in dire straits, Donnie Darko, Camille, Tom Dool, and Paul Waper, Alexander Allen, Matthew, Craig S., Glenn Bell, Professor, Doctor, Dentist, Adam Priest, Murray Waper, and Andy Dowling. All the way back in 2018, Peter Gillespie, Gavin S., Daniel Curtin, Liam McMahon, Dominic DeMassi, Matic Man, Bronwyn is in the chat room, Kane. Jimmy Spud, Tony Wall and Steve Shinners. And from 2017, Alison, Ayame, Wayno and Craig. And as I said, the only ones still left from 2016, Janelle Louise. Thank you very much. And also some people who support through PayPal rather than Patreon would be Mr T, Paul Evans, Anne Reid, Darren Giddens, Dave S from Cairns, Noel Hamilton and Louise Caruana. So, and a big thanks to Smiley Owl Linger, who does the voiceover of the uh, the intros. Right. There we go. We don't do it every week, but it is good to acknowledge. And also a special thanks to the people who do tune in live and make comments in the chat room, because it does help to a bit of buzz in things. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, if we were just talking to each other without any audience at all, Joe, it just wouldn't wouldn't be the same. So it is nice to have the comments come through. So, right, Joe, you sent me a link to Mm. a sexual assault in a female restroom in the US. And this was last year. And a teenager was arrested for sexual battery and abduction of a fellow student. Days later, press reports indicated the assailant had committed forcible sodomy on a fellow student at a different school earlier in the year. And this had occurred in the female restroom while the assailant was wearing a skirt.
1: This is a clash of rights, as has been discussed in the past.
0: Mm. So because this person was transgender, they were allowed to go into the female restroom even though they had a penis, is mm-hmm. that what we're getting at here? And therefore, had an opportunity to commit a crime. Well, or
1: so. So there have been loud voices saying, just because they said they were trans, doesn't mean they're trans. Hmm. However, this is the same group that says as soon as somebody identifies as trans, they're trans. Yes. And, and the question is, how do you stop the bad actors? When you, when you act in good faith, mm. when you say we just need you to say that you are trans and we will accept that, how do you stop the bad actors from taking advantage?
0: Mm. Here's um, the other yeah, question. Sorry.
1: I was about to say, yeah, I mean, there, there's a whole question around whether people would go into a female toilet anyway, mm. you know, just because they're wearing a skirt. Uh, and there seems to be some major letdowns in the school that, a teacher walked past, noticed that there were two people in the toilet stall and just waved it off Mm. because, you know, maybe one of them had had a bad breakup and needed consoling. Yes. There there were a number of questions there, but I think it was only a matter of time before things happened. You know, if if you're giving people the benefit of the doubt, there is always going to be somebody who takes advantage of that,
0: unfortunately. Mm. Mm-hmm. No easy solution.
1: No, because you've got two, two groups of people, the women who say we have fought long and hard for spaces that we feel safe in,
0: mm. uh,
1: and then we have people who are transitioning and want to be accepted as female who aren't necessarily accepted by all, of, all the women, Mm. And to be on one side or the other is immediately you're branded as a bigot in one shape or form.
0: Mm. I guess more and more toilets now are becoming rather than communal sort of spaces, yeah. they're more individual unisex cubicles with mm-hmm. their own private lock are sort of more and more common. The problem is you can't accommodate nearly as many people in that situation. So no. it's just not practical to do it like that everywhere. mm yep
1: yeah it was just uh interesting where we've discussed before about different people's rights coming up against, and how do you pick between them mm and and unfortunately, I think you know, th- this is not something that's going away, and there there will be more and more clashes i think
0: mm. yep of
1: yeah bad actors who are taking advantages of loopholes that are put in
0: mm yep I have a lot to say about it. It's, I think it's a really sad situation and I don't yeah, know absolutely. any answer for and, it. It's a conflict of rights and it, there's no easy answer.
1: So this this mm. came from a uh, a grand jury mm-hmm. who investigated uh, and the story, uh, the kid who the the alleged assailant had been in the guardianship of his grandmother who had gone to police and had said, he keeps pushing boundaries, he's going to end up in trouble, something needs to be done. Apparently right. his parents have been saying the same uh, and had been ignored for a long period of time. He, they'd reported it to the school saying he needs, yeah, so you need to keep an eye on him, he is going to cause trouble, he's pushing boundaries.
0: Right, yep. Mm. So. It, a, bit of a ticking time the, bomb ready yeah. to go off. Mm. Yeah, Okay. Moving on, one of my favourite topics of late has been oil and dollar currency. So just following on from that one, the Chinese president, Xi Jinping, was in Saudi Arabia and he got the warmest of receptions possible. And where Joe Biden got a bit of a frosty fist bump, they were all over the Chinese president. So did, did,
1: did they get a large pot of honey out for him?
0: Honey, because of the... the people No, Hmm. I don't think they did that. He got a purple carpet rather than a red one
1: because purple
0: signifies... Royalty. ...extra special and certainly put on a full show for him. And uh, so what we've got here is Xi formally invited Arab nations to trade oil and gas in Yuan on the Shanghai Exchange. And according to this writer, now the way diplomacy works is that Xi would not have made the invitation unless all the Arab states who had gathered, particularly Saudi Arabia, had already agreed as a matter of joint policy to take up the offer. Yeah, because so, otherwise you lose
1: face if you offer it and they decline.
0: Correct, yes. So it's more than just she offering. We can be quite confident that the Arab states and Saudi Arabia will accept it. And so oil and gas will price in Shanghai in yuan, 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 how do you pronounce it, Jane? No idea. Mm. Hi, Bronwyn. Uh, yep. Yeah. off. See you, Roman. And this will break the dollar monopoly that the US has imposed since 1974. And when the history of the decline of the US empire is written, the election of Donald Trump is going to be one moment. And this particular one right here with this Shanghai exchange paying in Chinese currency for oil. Will be the next one. Maybe if we one broke our dependency
1: ones. on oil, that wouldn't be such a bad thing, anyway. Dependency
0: on oil? Mm. They're still going to get the oil.
1: No, no, no. I said if we didn't need oil anymore. Yes. Because all those petrodollars flowing into the Middle East mm. hasn't helped the region.
0: No. Unless you're in the royal family. Mm. So, Queensland government increased the royalties because of record high coal prices. And the budget's going to have an extra $3 billion as a result. That's a lot of money for a state budget. Three billions. billion, nothing just sneeze at.
1: Isn't it? A trillion here, a trillion there, and pretty soon we're talking about real money.
0: Yeah, well, $3 billion, I, I did look at it as a proportion of the overall budget, and it was a significant component. Oh, so that's good. just goes to show the miners have been whinging, but, but anyway, that's worked to some extent. So yeah. maybe
1: we can put that into re training of the coal miners when they get laid off.
0: Yeah. Teach them how to erect wind farm stuff Mm. and solar panels. and Or or grow
1: algae to turn into biodiesel.
0: Yeah. All those things. Make dams for hydro, pumped hydro. Pumped hydro, yeah. So, Joe, did you have time to look at the oil and gas price cap policy that Labor has decided to introduce? You'll be shocked, but no. No. And you know what, dear listener? Ordinarily, I wouldn't have either. But for the fact that I do this podcast, I felt compelled Mm -hmm. that I should look into it and explain it to you. Because that is the premise of this podcast, isn't it? Is that I look up this shit so you don't have to and try and give a, a quick summary of what's happened. And I'll attempt to do that again on this occasion. So obviously what we've got, dear listener, is high oil and gas prices filtering through at a retail level in Australia now. So Parliament is going to be recalled on Thursday so that they can pass a new bill for their energy plan that they agreed to in Cabinet. So gas is going to be capped at $12 a gigajoule. This is for selling gas within Australia. And coal at $125 a tonne. And with the idea that this is going to lessen the impact of rising energy costs. So this article came from maybe The Guardian, I'm not sure. But at the time of writing, the short-term spot market price for coal was $580 a tonne. And this cap is going to be at $125 a tonne. Remember, dear listener, we spoke about this Queensland government's royalty increase. Like, if you can sell coal at $125 a ton, happy days. Like, still a good price. And, you know, it's 580. So that's why the Queensland government said, hey, we're having more of that, thank you very mm-hmm. much. That's why Queensland's getting $3 billion. Could be getting more, but at least it's something.
1: And, and the point is that Australia has the law that, Basically, everything under the ground, all the mineral wealth, belongs to the people. Yes. Unlike in the US.
0: Uh, what happens in the US?
1: US, you own everything, as far as I know, under your property,
0: all What's the way down. Okay. If you buy a block of land, it includes the mineral <laughs> rights. Correct. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Where the market price at the moment is $580 a tonne, like, unbelievably high, it's going to be capped at 125 And... The gas price is 22 at the moment. It's going to be capped at 12. So, according to The Guardian, can we expect lower gas and electricity prices as a result? And the answer is maybe, maybe not. So, the majority of Australia's coal-fired electricity generators get their coal from nearby mines. Much of this coal cannot be exported either because it's low quality or it's not near a train line. So the the mine mouth coal is therefore unaffected by export prices. Its price is based on extraction and delivery costs, plus a bit of a margin. So in all cases, this is well below the $125 a ton cap. So they can't export it, so it's not even at the export rates. That's the majority of coal used in electricity generators at the moment. There's two exceptions. Two of Queensland's eight coal-fired generators are supplied by mines that are able to divert their coal to export markets. In New South Wales, coal from most of the mines can be diverted to export markets, but much of this supply is already contracted for years ahead. So, the price is already locked in for the short term, well, next few years anyway. So, at the moment, there's only one power station, the Error Ring station near Newcastle, that's paying a price higher than the cap of $125. Here's the kicker this is where it helps if you've been listening to this podcast religiously all oh, year. In the national energy market covering eastern Australia, remember the price of the most expensive generator sets the price all generators receive. So the coal price cap is therefore likely to make a difference to wholesale electricity prices when the Ring power station is setting the market price. And this happens about 30% of the time. So capping the coal price that Erroring will pay below what it's now currently paying, it could have a big effect on electricity prices. It still depends on the erroring coal supplier and how they respond because they might just say, well, we're not going to supply the coal at the lower capped rate. So there doesn't seem to be, at the moment, an obligation where the government is saying, not only are we capping the price but we're forcing you to sell to us. Mm -hmm. So the coal companies could just go, okay, we'll just export it then. Yep. If that's the domestic rate, we'll sell it overseas. See how all that pans out. So if they continue to supply the coal at the lower capped price, then that might reduce the price of electricity. If it chooses not to, then we could have a supply crisis and the prices could go up. What about gas? So, similar to the coal story, although it's a lot easier to export gas. So, as a result, the domestic gas prices are more closely aligned with the export prices. So, the question is whether gas suppliers will sell uncontracted gas at the cap price or politely declined. So, the government hopes that the gas suppliers will ensure supply. It remains to be seen. So we've yet to see what the deal will be if the government is also going to say to the gas suppliers, well, the new cap is $12 and you must supply us domestically with some. Remember, dear listener, Western Australia, when they granted licences, told them in the very first place, you've got to keep X amount for Western Australian consumption. That's part of the deal. Nobody else is smart enough to do that. So, right. So that's the complicated story about the pricing. And according to this article, are there any better solutions? Well, they could just increase the royalties, get money from the increased royalties, and use that to subsidise consumers. That would make sense. would. Right don't care where you're selling it, but if you're selling it at these rates, we're collecting this royalty and we'll use it to help our local Australians pay their extra costs.
1: We, we could also we could be a little less that. profligate with our energy use, but...
0: We could. But now, a really good article in Michael West Media where, let me get this straight, and I, on this occasion, I need to put a little graph up again on the screen. And if you've got chapters in your... Podcast app, you will, with a bit of luck, see the same chart appearing. So, so according to this article in the Michael West blog, the plan does nothing to secure tax revenue from coal and gas exporters who continue to make obscene profits from resources that ultimately belong to all Australians. So, remember, in the UK, Boris Johnson's Tories hit the fuel companies with a super profits tax of twenty five percent. And Rishi Sunak is hoisting that to 35%, a bit like the Queensland government. Nothing of the sort here. So this article is saying that's what we should be doing is increasing the royalty and then using some of that money to help local consumers. And if you look at, of course, the fuel sectors, companies are all crying, you can't possibly do that. And uh, let me just read on a little bit further from here. The price caps only apply to the domestic market, and the vast majority of Australia's coal and gas is exported. Around 75% of gas extracted in Australia is liquefied into LNG and exported to the global market. In the coal industry, it's even higher. 90% of black coal goes to exports, which are currently fetching close to $600 a tonne. So 90% of coal produced in Australia is selling for almost five times the proposed cap of $125. So when these fuel giants cry poor about the price cap, remember 90% of their production is at obscenely high prices in the export market. And there was a report put out by the Institute for Energy Economics and Financial Analysis showing that if gas was $7 a kilojoule, then the gas fields would be profitable. So the $12 cap is quite generous. And and the chart refers to what percentage of Australian government revenue we get from the oil and gas sector as a percentage of the total oil and gas sector revenue. And you can see back in the early 1990s, our government was getting 30% of the oil and gas sector revenue, and now it's somewhere down around 8%. So we're not getting nearly what we should be getting even historically. And, and don't even start to compare us with Norway, because Norway has been taxing its gas and oil export profits at 78%. So, we in the early 90s were about 30%. We're now down to about 8%. Norway has been collecting 78%. And
1: it looks suspiciously like it's gone down since around the Howard years.
0: Yes. And make sure you're sitting down for this. The Norway Ministry of Finance estimates that the Norwegian public will receive 204 billion Australian dollars or. $38,000 Thirty-eight thousand dollars per citizen, two thousand and twenty-three. In in export profit tax, like huge figures.
1: And ha- and how much do Australians get?
0: <laughs> Bugger all. It doesn't put it. It doesn't give it in a per head amount. It, it does. does it? Fifty-eight. Uh, I thought it was no. That's fifty-eight. I thought say oh, we're going to get a fifty-eight dollar bill relief. That was it. Yeah. So, the graph on the screen and hopefully on your app in the chapter, shows how our share of the revenue has declined. So back in the late 80s, it was as high as 58%. Yeah, it plummeted fairly quickly. So, yeah, as I said, Norway, 78% tax on oil and gas exports. It's now, the Norwegian Sovereign Wealth Fund is now worth 1.5 million Australian dollars for every Norwegian family of four. If only our politicians had had the guts to do something similar.
1: Yeah, but, yeah, I mean, think think how many tax cuts you could give to the rich yeah, with that amount right. of money in the bank. I know.
0: Uh, so that was a good article by a guy, Daniel Bleakley, in the Michael West blog
1: bloody commies, wanting to those uh, uh,
0: hard-working... Working mining ex- companies. Exact, yes. They're all foreign-owned. Mm-hmm. It's not even as, you know, if only they were Australian, at least, foreign-owned. Right, Joe. Year in review. I was looking back through the last 52 episodes... But uh, good half an hour. You're not gonna, mm-hmm. You not got got anywhere to go? No. <laughs> I have a glass of rum. We'll take our time. Still got five listeners. Right. Back in January, Novak's jock was evicted. He'll be back. He
1: was. Yeah. Yeah. He was in the something open recently.
0: Hmm. He's, he's, they're definitely letting him back in the country now, even though he is unvaccinated. So I'm okay with that. I feel like I don't really need to police people now because there's enough of the population, I think. Grace Tane was in the news, Australian of the Year, not a fan of Scott Morrison, gave That's him the right. evil side smile, eye. would she? Mm. So, you know, in hindsight, she spotted Morrison a mile away. Well, she was actually just too close to him. She knew exactly his type. So good on you, Grace Tane, a brave young woman standing up to a pig of a man. We had City Point Christian College, Joe, who had a sort of a contract that they wanted parents to sign with moral clauses in there, so particularly that trans- only a
1: biblical marriage yes. was allowed or something.
0: Mm. Yes. That got a lot of publicity and a lot of heat. And a lot mm. of people suddenly principal lost their job. Mm. And a lot of people suddenly became aware of what some of these crazy religious schools are doing which was a little bit of a problem for the government because that was all in the lead-up to the Religious Discrimination Bill, which fell over.
1: I thought it was the Religious Freedom
0: Bill. Yes, that's right. What well, was it? That was, I think it was called the Religious Discrimination Bill.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah, which normally you would think means it's a bill that would... Allow religious dis- discrimination? discrimination. Well, that's precisely <laughs> what it fact, did. <laughs> in fact, it was one that was to enable... It was. Mis- you're right. It was. It was not named correctly. It was, should have been the Enabling Religious Discrimination Bill. Mm-hmm. And the only reason it failed was because they insisted on the right to be nasty to trans people, and that
1: was enough.
0: Uh, but, but only teachers.
1: I think yes. students were protected.
0: Correct. But that was enough to tip over the extra votes. And had they had they given in on that issue, the damn thing might have got through. It was, it was a near thing, relying on, the, on, on people's sympathy for the trans community that actually stopped that bill I, getting I thought passed. it was, again, gay marriage, not trans. No, I'm pretty sure it was trans on that one. Okay. Hmm. What else do we have? We had April Sun in Cuba. Ah, uh, uh, yes. That was enough for people to go,
1: what? It was still better than the GG's wife.
0: It's a close thing. You know you're right even April something ah it's a, it's a close thing I wouldn't like to I wouldn't like to pick one of them Ukraine then so we had the invasion by the Russians into Ukraine we had a debate with Hugh Harris and I was arguing that in the scheme of things all of the policy experts from Henry Kissinger to US ambassadors from professors to everyone in defence, like just everyone, on both, you know, American, Russian, German, you name it, who'd looked at this matter in the last 50 years, all basically said, if the Ukraine becomes part of NATO, then Russia will rightly feel threatened by that, as would any country, and will do something about it most likely. And lots of people felt that you know that, that Russia should have just bent over and, and taken it and had very little sympathy for the Russian perspective in that sense. And if you said to them, hey, what if China did a deal with Mexico, a security pact, and decided to put a whole bunch of missiles along the Mexican-US border and aim them at Washington, how would the US feel? I, I watched the YouTube video where the guy was saying,
1: well, if that was the case, they would have wi- withdrawn by now because um, Ukraine won't be part of NATO for a long time because it requires stability. You know, mm-hmm. Political stability is, is one of the mandates before you can join NATO.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: His argument was it's all about Sevastopol mm-hmm. and the a naval base there Which is why they they invaded the Crimea. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And this was all about getting a land bridge to Crimea, Mm -hmm. which is why all of those eastern states, eastern republics, were invaded because it was all about holding Russian territory all the way down into Crimea.
0: But based on that, okay, Russia pulls out Mm -hmm. because NATO requires a stable Ukraine in order to allow. And guess what? NATO says... Special circumstances, given what's just happened, you're part of NATO now. And what's wow. Russia going to do? Oh, hang on a minute. Your own rules say it's supposed to be a stable country. You can't do that. Well, well we just did it. Like that's as if as if Russia could rely on that as a reason to withdraw. They
1: couldn't. Well, what was more interesting was Finland talking about yeah. joining NATO.
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh, and think the, Russia-
1: yeah, the whole Finland thing is is intriguing. Mm. Because it was Swedish and then it was Russian and then because the Soviets in Finland helped the 1917 revolution, then they were granted their own autonomy Mm. and then the Russians invaded in the 40s. Yes. Supposedly because they were worried about how close Finland was to St. Petersburg. Yep. And they only wanted a little bit of territory.
0: And, and Finland ended up, ended up giving up a bit of territory as part yeah, of the... 10%, so, I think. Yeah, of that sort of... Not unlike the bit of strip of land that is the Donetsk and Crimea well, region. Yeah, um, so not so, unlike
1: the bit of West of Astopol again, Crimea.
0: Crimea, So yeah. So
1: they gave up a bit of Crimea. And that was yeah. fine. The, the war ended. Mm. And then it was a bit of Donetsk and the other one. And, and then next month it'll be a bit of this and mm. then... Mm. Yeah, how how many invasions do they have to give up just a little bit Mm. before Russia is satisfied?
0: Mm. Well, I think Russia's going to take a lot more now because they're thinking, well, we'll just keep going. We're just going to grind you in, you know. It's a siege type thing now. It's It's going to be a very cold winter and they're just going to wear them out. I was watching this YouTube thing where basically these guys were saying that Putin expected that there would be some negotiation once he had Kicked off things, and he was shocked that there was no negotiation. So anyway, Ukraine, which then kicked off, you know, Putin was basically saying, I'll still sell you oil and gas. Happy to still keep doing it. But, you know, we had Nord Stream blowing up, and we had the uh, Germans sort of not wanting to buy stuff. So we've now got an energy crisis that's affecting the world. Joe, you're frozen if you're still with me. You'll probably have to disconnect and reconnect. So anyway, Ukraine, which nobody predicted at the beginning of the year would kick off and it has, and it's led to really some very consequential things where you've also got now this sort of collaboration between Russia, India, Iran, China, Arab states, and it's really accelerated a a multipolar world as opposed to the unipolar world of American hegemony. So it's had a really rapid effect on on creating new alliances and and changing power structures in the world. Really accelerated a lot of stuff. So so it's been a really monumental event in that sense. Lismore got flooded and that's just going to be a continuing problem around Australia with areas that are heavily populated that are regularly flooded now because of climate change. So at some point, government's going to have to chip in and and buy whole towns and move people elsewhere because insurance just won't cover them anymore. We had the Temple of Satan stuff. We had a great result down in the Gold Coast with the prayer room. We had a terrible result in Brisbane with the religious instruction classes. So we're still sort of – update on that is – Department of Public Prosecutions has no interest in, have not contacted us at all. So we're quite relaxed now about that and we'll probably just get confirmation from them next year that they're not going to do anything. So, and then I think about what to do, if anything, with satanic activism, not sure what we'll do there. We had a mythicism debate on the podcast, so that was good. We had Hugh Harris and Cameron Riley talking about whether Jesus did exist or not. That was a good one. And... What else did we have? Carl Fitzgerald talked about land banking. In the UK, we've had Boris giving way to trusts, giving way to Rishi Sunak. And after the election, we had New Labor Government, Morrison's Secret Ministries, and Nord Stream. Oh, and Computer Chips has been the other one that has sort of come about in recent times. So... Let me just see where Joe is. He disappeared and see if he's trying to make his way back. Oh, yes, he's somewhere in the ether there somewhere, trying to get his connection going again. So what are the big themes coming out of 2022? I would say, number one, not a good year for Christians in Australia. So goodbye, Scott Morrison. Goodbye, that conservative government. Not that there's a shortage of Christians in the Labor Party, but at least they're not as crazy the religious discrimination bill didn't get up so and they've took some hits. people became aware of things and it wasn't a great year for Christian power in Australia. Obviously it wasn't a good year for the Liberal Party. they've been exposed as having been contaminated by this sort of Christian fascist nutters. other thing about 2022 demonstrating those elections I think as well is boomers. Their power is in decline. So baby boomers have been such a large cohort that any government wanting to win elections has had to pander to policies that benefit baby boomers, sometimes at the expense of other generations. So when boomers were buying houses, they would create these that were low taxation for people acquiring houses. As people were wanting to increase their superannuation, and that became important to boomers, a whole bunch of really generous tax concessions in superannuation. So so it's been the case that Australian governments have had to, if they wanted to get elected, really provide policies that, that are beneficial to that boomer generation. And the recent election demonstrating that the power of the boomer vote is in decline. So that's an interesting sort of, Part of 2022, Joe, you're back. I was just saying, boomers are in decline, and it wasn't a good year for the Christians or for the Liberal Party 2022. And the other theme coming out of 2022 would be just in the world. I'd say that China is sort of cemented its ascendancy. Further evidence of US decline. The sort of BRICS nations: Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, now being joined by a bunch of others into a multipolar world, that's in ascendancy. Europe is in trouble because of energy and just going to cause sort of a de industrialization And, well, if Europe is in trouble, then the UK is just simply fucked. Like, they've got all the troubles of Europe plus Brexit is coming home with all the consequences of that and... Honestly, if you had friends and family in the UK who had the opportunity to emigrate to another country, Joe, you must—you have friends and family over there who could move, who must be considering it, or especially young people.
1: Nobody's mentioned it. Okay, all right. I mean, family can't move, right? I mean, any person in the UK is mum; mm-hmm. she's not very mobile. Yeah, other people are elsewhere. Okay. So,
0: and I think we're just, I think we're also seeing, following on from COVID, where governments figured they could pass laws again, the whole neoliberal free market and people recognizing that there is a place for government intervention and it's important to have. Hospitals that function in a community that works together on things. So, I think with Queensland passing laws to get extra resource rent, I think, you know, even the price cap that the Labor government is imposing on coal and gas, while it is nowhere near enough what should be done, at least it's something to show a demonstration of a willingness of a government to enter the market and say, we're going to forcibly do something here rather than just sit back. So, I think there's a mood for people recognising that free markets left unregulated don't actually work, and and the best markets are those they, that are they're talking too about regulated,
1: reimbursing the vendors with a price yeah. cap.
0: Yes, I know it's it's such a it's a, such a piddly, terrible, pathetic response. The only yeah. thing going for it is it just demonstrates a willingness to at least pass some mandatory law. but Pretend
1: that it's doing something. Yeah,
0: I'm trying to find a silver lining on a pathetically dark cloud there. But anyway, that's my review of 2022. Another int- a fascinating one, really, locally in Australia and internationally, I think really turning points. Pretty obvious. If they continue, will be interesting to see. So... That's a wrap for 2022. I'm deleting all these social apps from my phone and iPad, not looking at anything for three weeks. Read some books and paint some stuff and, yeah, talk to you sometime in January. Thanks, Joe, for all your help through the year.
1: That's all right.
0: Hmm. There was a
1: news article that you shared recently that had a bunch of various news things, but it also linked off to a bunch of books to read over the holiday. So I don't know if you're in the market. Did I link that article? Did I? It was one of the ones you shared on, or sorry, you'd saved yeah. on the RSS feed.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm actually, yeah, if you go to the website, dear listener, you'll see that there's a link to the books. There's a books link and it will take you to Goodreads where I've got a list of books I've read in the last seven years. I'm actually inclined, Joe, I want to go through some of those books and just, mm. and just reread bits of them because I've, I've highlighted and scribbled on them all. So I actually don't really want to buy many new ones at the moment. I want to sort of revisit the old ones and and remember what they said is what I'm thinking of doing.
1: But this yeah. was, as a, for instance, Governomics, Can We Afford Small Government
0: right. as a book. Okay. Who's
1: written so, by? Miriam Lyons and I, whoever I is. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. I don't think I want to buy too many new ones. I just want to go over the old ones I've got. That's the theory. All right, well, let's get out of here. Thank you, dear listener, for paying attention during the year. Don't delete us from your app. I will appear again at some stage in early January. Talk to you then. Bye for now. And it's a good
1: night from him. Now, a
0: matter of great importance has been brought to my attention. I speak, of
2: course of the generous contributions made by the patrons of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. These fine men and women have sacrificed so much for their countrymen. Never before in the field of human conflict have
0: so many owed so much to so few. To those of you who are not yet patrons, I say this, give generously of yourself Give until you can honestly say, I have nothing left to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. <clears throat> Let me see, what is the time? Ah, 10
1: a.m. Now, where's my whiskey and cigars? <laughs>